dudes and dudettes. Welcome back to The Anxious Truth. This is episode number 161, 161 on a very, very early morning, a Wednesday in June of 2021, if you're listening from the future. Today we're going to talk about the temporary nature, the temporary nature of relief and comfort that you get when you avoid and escape from the things that scare you. And I'm just going to talk from my own experience and the experiences of, of many, many others that I have the privilege of watching go through the recovery process every single day. And this isn't what I plan to talk about in this week's podcast episode, but this is what's on my mind, and I'm going to start doing more of this. They might be shorter, but uh, I, I'm going to just kind of talk about what I'm feeling sometimes. And today I'm really feeling this topic of like the temporary nature and really recognizing the temporary nature, temporary comfort, temporary relief. Right? And in recovery, what we talk about all the time is choosing temporary discomfort for permanent freedom. But I want to talk about the flip side of this. Because what I thought I would talk about today is really like, what does it take to recover? I want to tell people, what does it really take? And part of it, when I was thinking about that, before I fired up this microphone, I said, well, sometimes what it takes is really getting angry at this and getting fed up at this and just having enough. I've had enough of living this way. And I know how to get to that point. I have had enough of this. And that was in my bones, man, like in my bones. I had enough of this. I was done with doing it that way. But one of the real components of that was literally being unwilling. And just in, in so many ways, and I'm not saying I was critical of myself. I never thought myself a failure. But I was getting a little disgusted with myself for picking temporary comfort. And that's really what it came down to. Every time I wiggled out of a thing, and believe me, we're going to talk about this. I wiggled out of a lot of things. I know all the little tricks. I know all the little manipulations, all the little excuses and little white lies. I know all of them. All of them, because I did all of them. All of them. And I got so tired of doing that, so fed up with that, so angry with that, angry at me, just disgusted with it to a certain extent, that that's really what, what kind of sparked you know, my real recovery. So we'll talk about that one day. What does it take to recover? But why did I get to that point? And why do so many people get to that point? It's the realization that every time I chose to avoid something, every time I chose to cancel plans, every time I chose to make up an excuse or a little lie as to why I couldn't do a thing or why I wasn't doing a thing, I was choosing temporary comfort. Temporary. It, it was good for a little while, and you know what I'm talking about. So if you, the minute you cancel a thing, the minute you say you can't do a thing, the minute you decide to not do your exposure, the minute you decide to take the surface roads instead of getting on the highway to drive, the minute you go to the little local shop that you can run in and out of instead of going to a supermarket to do your shopping, the minute you ask your partner to do the school run with the kids, you get that temporary hit of relief and comfort. Like, oh, okay, I don't have to do it. And it feels good, right? I'm not going to lie. That feels good. I mean, it feels good because then you feel safer and you don't have to do the scary thing. And there's like an instant weight off your shoulders. Or sometimes life does that for you. I can remember having the weather, right? The weather sometimes would do that for me. Uh, you know, oh, it was really bad weather. So an event got canceled. Like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God. There was always that little bit of like, oh, darn. But inside you're saying like, oh, thank goodness that got canceled. Now I don't have to do the scary thing. Or someone else's schedule would change or someone, you know, whatever would happen and life would hand that gift to you. Like, oh, that thing, that really scary thing, you don't have to do it. And it wasn't your fault that you didn't have to do it and you didn't have to make an excuse or a lie. Life handed you a gift. And I remember feeling like, oh, so good, so good. 
But that didn't last. It didn't last. Every single time, you'd feel a little bit of comfort for an hour, five minutes, a day, a night, two days. But in the end, it would always creep back in, right? It would always creep back in because life keeps going. There's another thing coming up. And even if there isn't another event coming up and you can comfortably sit in your living room or whatever it is you're doing, you know, for the next three weeks uninterrupted because there's literally nothing on your calendar, that can happen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like the disappointment still creeps in. What could I be doing? What would I really want to be doing if I didn't feel this way? Just because I don't have to go out and do things, just because I don't have to confront scary things, I'm still not living my life, right? So I really got super tired of choosing that temporary hit. Like, oh, this feel, this relief feels really good. Having this weight off my shoulders feels really good. But essentially, I was walking around with a 7,000-pound rock strapped to my back. That was the weight of living with disordered anxiety every day. And yet I would choose the temporary relief of taking a handful of pebbles and dropping them on the ground. Like, yeah, technically that was less weight that I was carrying. That's true. But I I dropped these little pebbles on the ground and was like, ooh, this is awesome because I don't have to hold these pebbles in my hand. And I still had this giant boulder strapped to my back. I was carrying that around all the damn time. And so when you drop the pebbles on the ground, you feel just a little tiny bit lighter for a couple of minutes or some temporary amount of time. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're still living under the weight of this insane thing. And I don't mean insane that you're crazy. I was, certainly wasn't crazy. You're not crazy. You're not insane. But, you know, when you, sometimes when you really get frustrated with it, and there was frustration in there, I realized, like, this is insane. I, I keep picking these little temporary hits of relief and comfort and, like, you know, oh, like the sigh of relief. I keep picking that over a real change. And when you are ready... And when you get to the point, you don't know when you're going to be ready, but when you get to the point where you are really ready, and, and trust me, man, like I was, I was ready. I had had enough. Now I wrote about this in my first book, An Anxiety Story, um, which, by the way, you can get for free. If you go to my website and follow the Smashwords link, you can get that for nothing. As an audio book, too, you can just get it. So if you want to listen to my story, go, go to my website and, and follow the links for the, my first book, An Anxiety Story, and grab it for nothing. You don't have to pay for that book. I'm going to put it on my, uh, my Podia site too. But anyway, make it easier to download. So when you get to that point, you know, part of the what does it take to recover, which is the, the bigger topic that I thought I would talk about today, and I'm narrowing it down. What does it take to recover? It takes hitting the point where you're ready to recover. That's the first thing. And hitting the point where you are ready, it pretty much comes down to calling out your decisions. Like I am done making decisions based on temporary relief. And I keep trading temporary relief for permanent restriction or what felt at the time like permanent restriction. So like every time I choose to not go to lunch with my friend, every time I choose to not do some grocery shopping, every time I choose to not pick up the kids from school, every time I choose to have somebody else go take care of something in my business that I owned, I own that business and I'm having other people tend to it. Like every time I chose to do that, I would get a temporary sense of relief but then I would feel crappy, like crappy. Not like I was a failure. You know, I didn't, I didn't beat myself up continuously, but I knew that I was making wrong decisions. So we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not making good decisions here. I am choosing temporary comfort every single time, but temporary is the key word here. I'm going to feel good for a few minutes and then I'm going to start to feel really crappy because I know that I avoided again. I know I didn't help myself here. I helped myself for 10 minutes 
but I hurt myself for 10 years. That's a big deal. So we can look in the mirror and make that decision and say, you know what, I'm not making good decisions here. I'm going to confront this. I'm going to look myself in the eye and say, Drew, you're not making good decisions. These, these are not helpful decisions for you in the long run. These are not going to get you where you need to be. These decisions feel good for a few minutes or a day or an hour or a week, but then they're not going to feel good, and you're going to know that you made another mistake. You're going to know you made another mistake. And you can do that honestly and in a firm way with yourself. Recognize that without beating yourself up, right? There's a, there is a line. You do not have to cross the line into, I am a failure. I'm never going to get this. I don't do anything right. None of that plays into this. We are talking about one topic right here, one thing. And I don't care who you are. Mother Teresa had flaws. Mother Teresa made bad decisions every damn day. I guarantee you she did. If she could stand in front of me and get on this mic with me, I would guarantee you Mother Teresa would tell you that she made bad decisions every day. And she probably had flaws that repeated over and over and over. Like all the, the Dalai Lama has those flaws. Jesus would tell you that he had those flaws. I think it's the first time I've actually mentioned that in a podcast. Don't at me. I respect everybody in their faith. It just... I don't just necessarily talk about it in the podcast. But in the end, we all have our flaws, and they are repeating flaws. We have little weaknesses. We have things that, like, well, we just do wrong all the time. It doesn't make us wrong, defective, or unworthy as human beings in our souls. It just means that, like, we have some work to do. We all have work to do. And for me, recovery and getting to the point where I was done with this, and I was ready to start moving forward no matter what it take, no matter what it took, excuse me, meant facing that. Like, dude, you're making some bad decisions here on the daily, and it's time to start realizing that. So it's it, temporary discomfort. This isn't going to be a super long podcast. I only got a few more minutes left to rant at you here. But if you take anything out of this, it will be that I, I want you to really, really, really consider. And look, this is applicable across multiple anxiety situations. If you are agoraphobic, I've already been talking to you. If you have panic disorder and you are avoiding anything that might make you feel the symptoms of, of panic, like I cannot do anything that makes my heart race, I am not doing anything that might make me dizzy, no way, too bad, I'm not doing it, then I'm talking to you. But if you are dealing with health anxiety, every time you make the decision to Google your symptoms again or ask for reassurance about that thing on your arm or the pain in your knee, or is it possible that I have a blood clot that I know about? Every single time you make the decision to indulge that fear, you're making a bad choice. And you have to start to realize, well, that got me some temporary like relief, but, but I'm trading it for long-term restriction here. You know, it applies for, for our OCD friends. You know, every time you decide to, to engage in that compulsion, every time you do the compulsion, you're fueling the obsession. And you get that, that relief for a few minutes. For some of you, I know how torturous this is. The relief is for a few minutes. So, you know, this, this temporary relief thing, and this, the, the temporary nature of the decisions that we make and when we choose the short term over the long term, sometimes the temporary is just for minutes. I get that. I really do. I understand. And then you have to make that decision again and again and again. And that is difficult and exhausting and all of those things. I, I get it, but it's doable. Changing those decisions is not impossible. You don't need you don't need easy. You just need possible. We all need that, right? So this applies across multiple contexts in, in disordered anxiety. But the object of the game here is to really, really own this. Like whenever I when I make my avoidance decisions, when I make my escape decisions, when I I mean look, it's not your fault if somebody cancels plans and somebody cancels plans. That's okay. But 
you know, you, you didn't do that. But to at least understand when the world gives me a gift here and cancels something that I don't want to do or lets me off the hook, well, I really feel good, don't I? And at least understanding, you didn't do that. You didn't make a bad decision there. That's okay. But at least understand that, well, I really feel good when I get let off the hook, don't I? But then you do have to own the decisions that you do make. Like I actively decided to not do a thing. I actively decided to engage in my compulsion. I actively decided to, you know, engage in my, my 10,000 safety rituals when I was driving on the highway because I think they make me safer. Every time we do that, we are making decisions and we are choosing temporary comfort. Temporary comfort. We're choosing that. And in exchange, we get long-term restriction. And then ultimately, the reality of that restrictions, the things that you can't do, the things you're missing out on, the things that you want to be able to do, the way you want to engage in life with your family, with your friends, with the things that you love or used to love or want to learn to love again. Every time we choose temporary relief, we are trading those things for the temporary comfort, temporary relief, the temporary lifting of that weight. But meanwhile, you dropped a little weight, that's true, but you still have a giant weight strapped to your back. You're carrying that on your shoulders, and it will creep back in and slap you in the face with reality. So let's just talk for a second here about where self-compassion comes into this, because I know that a lot of you are going to be thinking like, wait a minute here. Well, I mean, I have to look in the mirror and kind of berate myself. I have to, you know, be really brutal and honest and cruel to myself. No, no, not at all. Because the way I kind of see this is taking stock and doing this and owning these decisions and becoming responsible for the impact that they have in our lives is one of the most self-compassionate things that we can really do. And why do I say that? I know that sounds like opposite. Like, what do you mean? I have to calm myself out for making bad decisions every day? How is that self-compassionate? Because if you don't, you are literally leaving yourself to wallow. You are never finding where your power and influence in the recovery process lies. So how, how is this a show of self-compassion? To take stock, look in the mirror and say, dude, you are making bad decisions every day. You are in many ways your own worst enemy. How is that self-compassionate? Because when I do that, when you do that, you are literally like grabbing the reins now. If I take responsibility for this, and I know that I can do it differently, and I confront that reality, now I have power. Now I have control. Now I have influence. Now I can start to raise the bar. Now I can start to move things forward. But until I do that, I am a passive observer in my own anxiety disorder. And not doing that, not having this honest, firm, but compassionate conversation with yourself leaves you to bob sort of aimlessly with no control like a cork in a storm on the ocean. And that's kind of not fair, right? So there is self-compassion in this like giving yourself the chance to exercise, to find and exercise your power and influence in this process is, in my mind, one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself. It absolutely is. And that's just the thing that I kind of wanted to address in terms of the self-compassion thing, because I know it's a big deal, and I know sometimes I poo-poo that, and I talk about how I was like this unstoppable recovery machine, but yes, I learned how to give myself these gifts how to show myself some grace. Maybe it didn't look the way yours does, 
but it was there. And I have to acknowledge it because it's important, all right? And so, you know, what I will fire up this mic again and talk about the idea of like, what does it really take? What does it take to recover from anxiety? I'll talk about that. It takes a lot of things. But if this is episode one of that little mini series buried in this podcast, then what it takes first is calling this out, is coming to this realization and owning this. I am making decisions that where I choose temporary comfort at the cost of permanent restriction. And I make these decisions on the daily, and these are not good decisions for me. That's, that's a tough thing to look at yourself in the mirror and say. But I'm not saying you have to beat yourself up. And I'm certainly not saying that coming to that realization and taking ownership of those decisions and calling out the temporary nature of what you're doing, kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road, like it doesn't mean when you come to this conclusion and you, and you reach this conclusion, you call this out and you have this sort of personal epiphany. It doesn't mean that you're fixed. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy now. It, it's just another brick in the wall of recovery, right? It's another step up those stairs. It's, it's another step forward. It's another, you know, turning and, and solidifying your, your direction along the path of recovery. Like, oh, that's right. I, when I make these decisions, I have to remember. And look, this is, this is a concept that stays with you throughout recovery because we all slip up. We will, even when you're in the middle of it and you're doing your work and you're working hard and you're doing it every day and you're being tenacious and systematic and incremental and all the stuff I've talked about until I'm blue in the face, even when you're doing that, sometimes we're going to make these bad decisions again. Old habits die hard and the need to go around discomfort is strong in human beings. It's strong. There's an entire like $80 zillion industry like populated by guys like Tony Roberts like who made their fortunes on teaching people about how, how to be uncomfortable. There's a reason for that because we don't want to be. <laughs> we come from the factory not wanting to be uncomfortable, man. Like we want to be comfortable. So even in the midst of the recovery process, when you are at it and you are hammering away at this and you're doing all the work, you're going to make those bad decisions again. I did. I did. But when you make them, when you come to this realization and you own this and you, you, you literally own this, you put this in your bones. Like, I ain't going to make these bad decisions again and again anymore. I'm done with this. I am not going to choose the temporary over the permanent. I'm going to choose the long term here. Like, I'm going to make my decisions based on what's going to be good for me in the long run. I am going to choose permanent freedom, real recovery over temporary relief. When you... When you own that, when you really embrace that, then even when you, we slip up, and I slipped up too, even when you slip up in recovery, you can catch that quick. And a, a while back, I did a podcast episode called What Do We Do When We Fail? What do we do when we fail? Go back and find, I don't know what episode number that is. If you go to theanxioustruth.com slash 161, in the show notes of this one, I promise I will link that one. It's a good one. What do you do when you fail? I would always say, go back and do it again right away, because that's what I would do. When I would choose to turn the car around and come back home because it felt like too much, I would sit in my driveway for five minutes or so. And you know what let me do that? I would sit in the driveway and go back out again and finish. Even if I got out of the car and came in the house, I would go back out, back out again and finish. Twice I didn't do that because actually the roads were really icy. So the, 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 rude, ah, the world really did let me off the hook those days. But um, and I remember those days very, very clearly, because it was truly like, oh, I, don't have, I really don't have to do this today. It was dangerous to drive. But every other day, I would either sit in the driveway for a few minutes and then go back out again, or I would get back out in the car within an hour and do it again. 
What do you do when you fail? Go back to the scene of the crime and do it again. And if you fail again, go back again and do it again. And you know what lets you make that choice when you bail on an exposure, when you cancel a thing? What lets you make that choice and fix the mistake is this, what I'm talking about right now. Owning the realization that, wait a minute, I just did it again. I chose the temporary solution. And when I chose the temporary solution, I turned my back on the permanent solution. And I'm not going to do that. So let me change course here and remake this decision and do the thing that I know will move me down the path to where I really want to be in the long run, even though it's going to be difficult and uncomfortable to do it. That's what I'm going to do. So owning this, calling out your propensity to choose the temporary over the long term will propel you into recovery and will help keep you on the right path in recovery because you can return to this concept. I felt it in my bones. I am done living this way. I will not do this anymore. And probably the first part of that was this. Literally was this. That's my wake-up alarm. By the way, phone, I'm already up. Anyway, so that's the deal. That is the deal. If you take anything out of this, I want you to take this. Like every time you avoid, every time you avoid and escape and run and insist that, oh, no, 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 I can never feel those things. Stop telling me to do scary things. Okay, that's no problem. You can make that decision, and you're making it every day. But when you make it, you are choosing temporary relief, and you know it doesn't last. It's going to come and get you later, a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, tomorrow, next week. The next time you get invited to a social event or you have a family function or you have a job opportunity that you pass up on, it's going to come and get you. It's going to come and get you because it used to come and get me. So those decisions I would make would come back and bite me right square in the rear end, and I was done having that happen. I'm not having it happen anymore. So that is the deal, folks. What are you going to choose? Are you going to keep choosing temporary relief, or are you going to start to choose a permanent path to permanent freedom? And I know that sounds all life coachy and screw that, but there is an element of truth in that. When we start making different decisions and we make our decisions based on what we want in the long run, then things really change. And guess what? They kind of change in a really durable way. So there you go. I don't know if I inspired you or berated you for 20 minutes. I hope I inspired you or at least gave you something to think about because all of this involves something to think about in the end, right? We got to think about this stuff and then we got to do this stuff. But I do understand sometimes you got to really sit and take stock of where you are. And this is maybe one of those moments. So if I had made a couple of you sit and take stock and decide I'm going to do this thing now, well, then my job here is done. Anyway, that is the end of this particular podcast, episode number 161 in the books. I appreciate you coming, hanging out with me every week like you all do. So many of you, like the numbers are getting really big in this podcast, which I never in a million years would have imagined here. But they are, which is cool. And I appreciate that. I did not plug my book today, but you know where to find it. It's at theanxioustruth.com slash recovery guide. And while you're on my website at theanxioustruth.com, right on the homepage, click on the free recovery workshop. It's an hour it's an hour training that walks you through the recovery process from beginning to end, and it is 100% free. So if you're not sure where to start all this, just do that. You don't have to pay a damn thing. It's totally free. All right, peeps. As usual, I'm going to play out with Afterglow by Ben Drake. You can find my friend Ben, who's an outstanding musician and just a good dude. Just a good dude, by the way. You can find him at bendrakemusic.com. Hope you guys enjoy this song. I know I do. It means a lot to me now. And that is it. I will remind you to come back next week for episode number 162. I don't know what that's going to be, but it's going to be good. Guarantee you that. 
And uh, I will remind you, as I have been so fond of doing lately, that this is the way. You got the feeling that you're going to win. Yeah, you're doing fine. Now in the city and you're living fast. No looking back or dwelling on the past. You know you'll never get another chance. So go and live your life.